if you want to be for foreskin, you've got to you've got to breathe it, you've got to live it, you've got to believe in it. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a natural body part. My for, my T-shirt says foreskin XL because foreskin is extra large in benefits and advantages. <laughs> And you know, it's it's a natural body part, it's authentic and it's untamed. You're listening to a pretty normal podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name's Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. On this week's episode, I got to speak to two directors from Intaction, a nonprofit organization for foreskin advocacy. Now, maybe you're like me, who at first didn't understand what the big deal was. But after this interview, you'll definitely understand why this has been their life's work to teach people about the dangers of circumcision. My name is Xavier Diaz, and this is a pretty normal podcast. Yeah, I would like to say that the reason that I came across Intaction um, is that I was walking through Union Square with a buddy of mine and we heard a baby crying. And this wasn't that abnormal, but it was a baby screaming at the top of its lungs, screaming. So then we looked over and there was like an exhibit right there and it was uh, something from Intaction. Uh, could you guys describe what that exhibit was, if you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, you saw one of our most popular exhibits at the, at the Infant Genital Cutting Exhibit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a 3D uh, diorama, it's interactive, and, and it's exactly what happens to a million baby boys every year in America. The equipment in our exhibit is the actual equipment that a doctor would use in a hospital. It's identical. And it shows a baby strapped down, spread eagle in, in this contraption. And, and they're putting a crushing device on his penis, which crushes the foreskin, which is doctors need to do to stop, start blood, blood coagulation under the skin so they can then crush and remove the foreskin. And, and that's what the process is. If people think that their baby slept through it mm-hmm. or was, the nurse came out and lied and said, well, your baby didn't feel a thing, this is really a bucket of cold water on those mm-hmm. Uh, myths and misconceptions. It's painful. The baby feels every bit of it. And and when you see our, our exhibit, you, there's no dispute on that uh, no, yeah, it, point. It definitely people, got my attention. Amazingly, like people will say like, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Like they actually strap them down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you have to hold the baby down mm-hmm. because they're screaming bloody hell. Yeah. And they're going through like the greatest pain of their life. Um, uh, in, in many situations, that really is the greatest pain you'll ever know. And uh, it, it's at a point in your life when you should not be going through such a thing because your brain is still forming and uh, you know, all, all these important factors. People are really surprised that this is what happens, that the baby really feels this incredible pain and they're, they're screaming. And uh, so yeah, it's, it's important to do that. But as you see, you know, the rest of our displays are, are very 
foreskin positive, sex positive, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the, that's really the one thing that that you know we, we you know is is kind of shocking and, and harsh. Yeah, for sure. When I walked past it during that time, it was a time when it was in the news a lot about the migrant children in cages. So as we heard it, we thought it was going to be something about that, and then as we walked closer to it, it was about circumcision, and we were like, "Whoa, this is definitely not what we thought." You know, when you hear crying children, but it is true. It's like you know most people don't think about it because they're not in the room when this is happening and it's just happened for so long can you tell me more about intaction what exactly intaction even means well intaction is just conjugation between intact and taking action we're, we're a group of people that feel like the, uh, circumcision and genital cutting should not be done to children boys or girls and uh, we started intaction to give babies a voice and to spread our educational advocacy to make people aware about what's being done to a million baby boys every year. And, you know, we've got this whole entire Goliath medical industry that profits, profits of over a billion dollars a year are made from circumcision of children. That ranges everything from doctor's fees, hospital's fees, the equipment, and even selling the baby infant foreskin tissue to biotech companies. There's a whole downstream industry that feeds off of uh, foreskin tissue taken from babies. It's a billion dollar business. And, you know, against that is just the Davids like of ourselves and a few other intactivist organizations uh, which people they're just groups of people that believe this practice should end mm-hmm. and it's just us against them and we felt that you know we found an intaction because we felt that uh, we needed a little more firepower in this in this movement in this cause to try to protect American children because this is a unique American phenomenon yeah people have to understand outside of the Religious communities, which are small, whether it's the Muslim community or the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, this is an American phenomenon. 90% of the world doesn't do this. Yeah, I'm uh, Hispanic yeah. and I've never, like, my family didn't do that. And if they did, it's once they started coming to America and, like, living most more of their lives here than they did in Dominican Republic. Yeah, you won't see it in Latin America. You won't see it in Central America. You won't see it in South America. You won't see it anywhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. You won't see it for the most part in Asia. There are a few pockets around the world and, mm-hmm. and that, that, that do do circumcision, but for the most part, it's a unique American phenomena. And, and Americans have so much tunnel vision on this issue, and they, they think everybody does it all around the world. And mm-hmm. they, they couldn't be farther from the truth on that. Do you find that, you know, it's anybody that cares about this is not just from one particular demographic? Or do you find that there are certain demographics that are a little bit more hesitant to what you guys are saying. I haven't found it to be like a political issue, but uh, it's it's a it's a ge- geographic issue and it's an age issue. So, for instance, like on the west coast of America, California, uh, Oregon, Washington State, those states will be very low in circumcision rates, maybe mm-hmm. down around thirty mm-hmm. percent. Then on the east coast, like especially like metropolitan areas like New York City, where there's a lot of immigration. I mean, New York City is really an international city. Yeah it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the Midwest areas or the suburban areas, the rates go much higher, maybe mm-hmm. as much as 70%. Mm-hmm. So uh, according to government statistics, the rate is around 56% and it's declining in the last data that we have. So it's, so it's a geographic issue. It's also an age issue mm-hmm. where younger people under 40 or more opposed to it and people over 40 or 50, 60, they've either are circumcised themselves or they've circumcised their children and they're invested in the decision and they're less likely to 
move off of that. Mm -hmm. But younger people, uh, millennials, they're more against it. They see this for what it is. It's just non-consensual abuse and genital cutting of children. I was going to ask, so circumcision is usually a word associated with boys. But can circumcision also be um, referred to for female mutilation of genitalia? The word circumcision is euphemism, mm -hmm. okay? And, and euphemism is a word that's invented to really cover up or disguise what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. So what we're really doing is cutting genitals. That's mm -hmm. what it is. So we use. So they came up with the word circumcision because it sounds more noble. But circumcision can be applied to females. And in that case, the advocates of the people against that, that, that movement against female genital, they've called it mutilation, female genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. So but. Uh, people in Africa, the Mideast, they call us circumcision. Mm -hmm. And they call us hypocrites because we're against female genital mutilation, but yet we cut our boys. Yeah, and don't okay? say anything about but, it. Yeah, but we're criticizing them for cutting their girls. Yeah. So they see this as just a big American, hypocrisy. Western, imperialistic hypocrisy. There's a lot of people actually in the uh, FGM movement that um, try very hard to separate it from from male circumcision. They they try very hard to, to make sure that you don't associate the two things. When in fact, with FGM, um, most of it, most of it that is actually performed is less invasive than male circumcision. Uh, the most common form of female circumcision is you know, a little cut, a little pinprick to the clitoral hood mm -hmm. and to, to make one drop of blood. Mm -hmm. That's um, to signify you know, a cleansing and whatnot. Uh, uh, and, uh, and then uh, other times they remove just the clitoral hood which is the female equivalent of uh, male foreskin. So um, that is the same thing. Uh, there, there's very small percentage of uh, FGM that is performed, uh, which um, the FGM people say that, you know, well, this is what happens all the time, but it's it's really only about 5% of FGM where they, they actually really scrape away the, the whole clitoris and, and part of the vulva and mm -hmm. uh, whatnot. So um, that that's actually a very small percentage that's done in a certain part of Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and a lot of Muslim uh, circumcision is, is really less invasive and takes away less tissue than male circumcision does. First, I wanted to ask about the mental and physical implications later on in a person's life that gets circumcised, could you speak about that? Sure, you know, there's the emotional harm and the psychological impact of general cutting done to baby boys. Now, pe people under the belief, or some people that are trying to, you know, uh, defend their decision to cut their sons, they say, well, he didn't remember it mm -hmm. because he didn't remember it being done. It didn't, it didn't harm him. Mm -hmm. And what people have to understand it's just because a child doesn't remember something, that doesn't mean he's not affected by it. Mm -hmm. The pain and trauma, you have to understand that babies can't be given anesthesia like an adult. I read something about like topical stuff that they will rub on it. So it's not anesthesia, but it's in like, it's something to, as a pain relief. There's a cream called an Emla cream mm -hmm. uh, that they could put on. And let me tell you something. If I put some Emla cream on your arm and I stuck you with a needle, you'd hit the ceiling. Mm -hmm. It's very ineffective. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, in the package insert on Emla cream, it specifically says don't use it on infants. So go figure that one, why they're using it on babies. But the cream is ineffective. 
Uh, they can't really use effective anesthesia on, on a baby. Yeah, because it happens within yeah. the first two days, correct? Yeah, it ha it's happened you know, before the baby leaves the hospital mm -hmm. with the mother. They can maybe give lidocaine shots. Some doctors don't want to be bothered with it because it takes more time or they don't know how to administer it. A lot of doctors don't know how to administer lidocaine shots. You have to understand, it's not like they go to medical school to do circumcision, mm -hmm. okay? There's no courses in medical school on doing a circumcision. How they learn doing circumcision is the old adage in the medical business, yeah. see one, do one, teach one. Mm -hmm. So when they're a resident, another resident will show them how they do it, then they do one, and mm -hmm. then they teach somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's the s summary of their training on infant circumcision. Whether they have the knowledge to administer anesthesia, most likely not. Mm -hmm. And I know this from speaking to nurses in hospitals that, that confide in me. So you've got all this pain and trauma that an infant's being subjected to. So what's going on while this is happening? Their brain is dumping, uh, not their brain, but their adrenal is dumping cor cortisol, which is a stress hormone uh, into their blood because they're, they're strapped down, their genitals are being crushed. Mm -hmm. They're in a lot of pain and it affects, you know, it, the cortisol and the, uh, all the pain, you know, all these neural connections are being made uh, in what they call the limbic brain, which is the, uh, the amygdala and the hippocampus. And, and these are parts of the early brain that are used for decision making and emotional control. All this pain and trauma is impacting how this, how these connections are being made early in life. Mm. So this uh, causes PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Doctors, studies have found from the University of Sheffield that babies that are subjected to circumcision have higher rates of SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome. And then later on in life, it's been found that the circumcision trauma causes emotional changes in the person later on in life. And this is documented in, in studies and, and in research. So my question is, with medicine evolving over time and you know surgical procedures evolving over time, how come this is something that they clearly haven't just improved and they still use? I read like these big clamps and a lot of it is just guesswork with, with the cutting. Why hasn't this improved as a procedure? I don't know that uh, there's really any improvement that can be made. Mm -hmm. You need to uh, somehow, you need to tear the foreskin off the, the head of the penis, or mm -hmm. the glands penis. That needs to be torn off because it's adhered like a fingernail to the nail bed. So uh, that needs to be torn off. They need to make a, an initial dorsal cut, which is cut along the top to insert a device. There's different types of devices. There's a Mojin clamp, there's a Gomco clamp, and there's a Plastibel. They all serve as means to stop the bleeding because if you cut the foreskin off without that, the baby would likely bleed to death. So they have to do something to crush the foreskin. Mm -hmm. It's like getting your finger caught in a car door and slamming it shut, oh. except we're gonna keep the car door shut mm -hmm. until the bleeding stops. Mm -hmm. That's how circumcision is done. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to improve this. Mm -hmm. This is the process. And you know, unless the human body changes, there's no way to change the process. And incidentally, one of those devices I mentioned, the Mojin clamp, the original Mojin company has been put out of business for malpractice claims because it's, it's very possible that the head of the penis becomes entrapped in the clamp. Mm -hmm. You have to understand a baby is very tiny. So when they put this device on the baby's penis, if the tip of the penis or the head of the penis is caught in the clamp, it's very hard to verify if it's safe or not safe. And they, they shut that clamp shut, they can crush the head of the penis and basically have chopped meat after that. Oh. Many babies have lost their penis. There's two cases on Long Island right now. Northwell Hospital, same doctor, destroyed two babies' penises in a row. 
cases in Nassau District Court, uh, and one is in Suffolk. And the hospital still used the Mojin clamp. Wow. And, and the doctor is still working there, so you could be bringing your baby to this man. You will you not even know. know it. Do doctors get paid more when they do the circumcision versus when a parent says don't do the circumcision? Sure. You know, we have a fee-for-service medical system. Mm -hmm. The more the doctor does, mm -hmm. the more he gets paid, mm -hmm. the more the hospital gets paid. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the doctor will get a couple hundred dollars for doing the circumcision and the hospital can bill like a thousand dollars or so as a facility fee because you're using, the you're using their facility, you're using their bed, you're using their equipment. The hospital, this all gets billed out to insurance or Medicaid. I give you an example. I know someone in the medical business. I'm not going to say their name. They work at a hospital in Long Island. They had to do something to a patient. They had to add an extra stitch because they were bleeding. And so they did that. No big deal. Patient is fine. And then the, the billing department comes to the, to, to the floor and says, why didn't you take that patient's blood pressure and temperature? She says, well, the person said, well, I didn't need to do that. All I was doing was putting in an extra stitch. Mm -hmm. Because the, the billing department monitors what's going on to make sure everything possible gets billed out. Yeah. The billing person says, you don't understand. If you don't do it, we can't bill it. Mm -hmm. So they push unnecessary procedures mm -hmm. in order to increase their billings because hospitals need money, as much money flowing into them as possible. Mm -hmm. And whether that's beneficial to the patient or not is another question sometimes. Does the doctor come out and ask, do you want your child circumcised or is the default assumption circumcise it and the parent has to come and say, don't circumcise them? I had two, two children born at uh, Northwell Hospital, LIJ, okay, within the last few years. In both instances, they came out and repeatedly asked us, are we going to circumcise? Are we going to circumcise? Do you want to do a circumcision? I, I just need to put it in the computer. I want to ask you. So if you put it in the computer one time, why are you asking yeah. me two more times Again. afterwards? Mm -hmm. And we had to repeatedly tell them we're not doing a circumcision. One was a girl, so it, you know that was kind of moot point. But they kept asking us up because we didn't know the sex. We did, they kept asking us up until the, the birth. And then when my son was born, the, the obstetrician came into the room afterwards and said, "Are we doing a circumcision?" And I had, you know, I had to tell him no again. So oh the, they God. they pushed the parents to do it by constantly asking them. There's an outpatient uh, to do board in many hospitals, and, and you know we we've seen them on Facebook. People have taken pictures of them, and uh, you know where you where you do go through this where the nurses, the doctors, they're, they're supposed to go through this whole list of things to do before the baby gets actually released. And circumcision is one of them. It says circumcision. So, um, you, you know, it, it's kind of like push them to do it. And they and the nurses are, you know, trained to go and ask you um, and they they'll have another nurse ask you and then they'll have a doctor ask you. So it's a it's this it's little just, strategy that they have that mm -hmm. eventually they'll wear you down and you'll be like, do it. And one person will be able to convince you a little more than the other person will. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll find out, you know, what you're kind of vulnerable on and uh, and work that edge in order to to get you to, to have it before. We've had people tell us like, you know, they use different techniques like, you know, well, if you don't do it now, if you do it later, you'll have to pay for it out of pocket mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the doctor's got to go. Can you make up your mind now and, and, and yeah. let's, let's, you know, let's, you know, if you want to get it done, let's get it done. Yeah. So they use all these kind of high pressure sales techniques like selling a used car, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to get parents to, to, to waffle and give up and sign the consent form. 
I wanted to ask you both about some of the things that are said on the internet to see whether they're true or not. I was doing some research and it seems like this is something where even on the American Academy of Pediatrics, you'll find confusing information on there. So one thing that I read is, you know, some of the pros about this are that it reduces penile cancer in men, syphilis, gonorrhea, HIV. What can you guys say about that? Well, as far as penile cancer, I mean, that's uh, about one in 100,000 uh, will, will get penile cancer. That is also, and the average age is like 70 something uh, when it happens. It's considered a very rare cancer to begin with, and it is treatable uh, you know, when caught early. Now, uh, you know, breast cancer happens to one in eight women. You know, we don't tell people, well, you know, you should have your girl's breasts you know, taken, taken out, cut mm -hmm. off yeah. early on in life to prevent breast cancer. And breast cancer is, is a deadly thing. Um, you know, so many of the women that, that ha have breast cancer will actually die of it. Mm -hmm. Now there's also vulva cancer, which is actually much more common than penile cancer. So vulva cancer, if you cut away the parts of the vulva, then there you actually we'll be saving them uh, a higher chance of uh, of having that vulvar cancer so but it's a rare thing and penile cancer is even more rare than that mm -hmm. so uh you know it, it actually makes more sense on the books mm -hmm. actually if you're going to be using preventive medicine to circumcise girls than than boys and uh, also girls throughout their life um, to to the day they die, they have uh, infections, uh, you know, various yeast infections and, and all of this uh, but, uh, for various reasons. So but but we don't cut off their skin mm -hmm. in order to, you know, say, well, there's less places for bacteria to hide. There's a less chance of yeast to grow and mm. and all this and and so all of these reasons um even pro-circumcision doctors mm. are just saying okay the medical benefits if you believe them they're very small they're mm. very small they're not enough reason to actually have circumcision it's more cultural reasons and so um even the american academy of pediatrics are backtracking and saying that the medical reasons really aren't enough simple hygiene whatever will take mm. care of of the penis it's so. interesting so like a place that i went to that i saw was the john hopkins medicine website and on there they say that the general agreement among healthcare providers is that the benefits do outweigh the risks but then they also go on to say things like circumcision is relatively simple and it has few complications so that's why a lot of the information out there is really confusing because, you know, when I think of John Hopkins, I think it's a credible place. And then I see this on their website. You got to realize there's over 20 medical associations around the world that specifically do not recommend circumcision. These are European, even Canadian pediatric society does not recommend infant circumcision, citing lack of uh, health benefits. Mm -hmm. 16 states have dropped Medicaid coverage for infant circumcision, citing lack of health benefits and deeming it a cosmetic surgery. In terms of penile cancer, the American Academy of Pediatrics on page 14 of their technical report say that 322,000 infant circumcisions would be required to prevent one penile cancer event. Mm -hmm. And in the process, it'd be 644 severe complications from the circumcision. So. Penile cancer is very rare. European men where they're, like I said, they're 95% intact over there. Mm -hmm. They have lower rates of ST, all STDs, lower rates of HIV. Mm -hmm. 
and and no higher penile cancer events than we have here in America, where mm -hmm. most of the men tend to be circumcised. Another one that I read often is there's less chance of HPV and cervical cancer in women. What about this? Is this again? That's that's another myth. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics looked at that, and on page 13 of their technical report, they said that uh, the studies were conflicting in terms of cervical cancer. The contribution of male circumcision to the prevention of cervical cancer is likely to be small, mm -hmm. as the uh, Gardasil HPV vaccine becomes more widely adopted. That issue becomes less and less relevant. Mm -hmm. But uh, you have to understand, you can get HPV any a lot of places on your body. You can get it in your mouth, your throat. It could be on your on your genitals. It could be in your rectum. Foreskin doesn't spread HPV any more than any other body part does. I I also noticed that they like to tout these studies from um, like African countries, and they that like one that I saw was that they did this one in Uganda where 40 out of 137 men were with a partner that was HIV positive. They were if they were uncircumcised, they got HIV. Zero of the men that were circumcised did not get HIV. So I see these studies and they like to tout them from like African countries. But then, you know, a little side note that they'll include at the bottom is like, you know, in Western countries where hygiene is more blah, 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 blah. So they always like to tout these like, you know, third world countries when it comes to this. Why is that? The, the African studies are so biased and so flawed. If anyone looked at it with an unbiased eye, it's laughable. Mm -hmm. uh, they did these studies. They did one in Uganda, one in Kenya, and one in South Africa. Orange Farm, South Africa, Kisumu, Kenya, and Rakai, Uganda. They took, first of all, they took a group of men and they, uh, they circumcised them, saying that, well, we think this is going to prevent HIV. Now, what are they going to do after the study if the circumcised men contracted HIV? So, sorry, we made a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, Of course, they, they knew what the result was going to be before they even started. Mm -hmm. And they they took the group of men, they, the men that were intact, they said, okay, go back to your village and, you know, practice safe sex, whatever that is. And then they took the circumcised men, men that were gonna be in that group and they circumcised them. Now, if you're circum if you have surgery, you can't have sex for, for a month or two, mm -hmm. okay? So then what they did is they stopped the study early. So the circumcised men are already less exposed, had less sexual experiences than the intact men. Yeah, mm -hmm. Why didn't they let the study go to the full exactly. term? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then also, then they press release. It was a 60% reduction. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right? That sounds big. 60%, yep. yeah, right? Sounds very big. Okay. Great for a headline. What's the actual? The actual was from 2% to 1.2%. Mm -hmm. And they call that a 60% reduction. Ah. Uh... Okay. It all it all depends on the context right. of it. Now I say, don't give me percentages. Give me actual. So, if there's 1,500 men in the study, when you when you distill that down, is only like maybe 15 men one way or the other could swing that result mm -hmm. from two percent to one. It's only 15 men. Mm -hmm. Okay. The study didn't take into account if anybody was gay or homosexual because. No one will admit or to that. Drug or if there's other means of transmission other than sexual heterosexual contact. Mm -hmm. Could be drug use, could be using a dirty tribal instrument or something. Mm -hmm. So just a small amount. So they're making a tremendous claim based on a very small, almost statistically insignificant amount of mm -hmm. people that they say were now HIV uh, 
negative because they were circumcised. But it makes good headlines right. for them. It makes good headlines. Mm -hmm. And why do they want that? Because these researchers and their institutions, of which John Hopkins University is one of them, got millions and millions of dollars from, from the US government and from like the Bill Gates Foundation to go out there and do something. So they went out and they did a study and say, hey, we proved something. Mm -hmm. And now these researchers get tenure and they get all kinds of money coming in. Mm -hmm. These professors are pulling down probably, you know, million dollar salaries at John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they're, they're treated like they were heroes because of 15 men in their study out of 1,500 mm -hmm. they said had a lower HIV rate because they were circumcised. So what about things like balanitis, which is more common in men that are intact? I saw that there was more than 200,000 cases per year in the United States of balanitis, which is, for anybody that doesn't know, inflammation of the foreskin and the head uh, penis. The foreskin, like any body part, can, can need a little TLC once in a while, mm -hmm. okay? So balanitis or BXO, I think the cause of that is a little bit unknown, but it's an inflammatory disease. Just like any skin on your body can have some type of thing, uh, inflammation or needs treatment. There are ways to treat it, you know? Um, I suppose as an adult, if, if, if a person had really bad recurrent skin condition that just medication and ointments wouldn't resolve and better hygiene. I suppose then they can make the choice as an adult to be circumcised, to rid themselves of that, if that. But that's a very small amount of mm -hmm. intact men have that problem. Yeah. You know, just like a very small amount of people will have tonsillitis. I wanted to say, I actually know somebody that did get balanitis there, an intact person. And it's what you said. It's not, it wasn't reoccurring. It was a one-time thing, but it was because they had never learned how to properly clean themselves there. Something that when I was going through school, all of when they were teaching health, the penises that you saw were uh, circumcised penises on the diagrams or whatever it was. And it was never even a thing to teach, you know, boys, how do you clean down there? Because I guess it was just automatically assumed that, you know, everybody here was circumcised. So what do we do about education wise? And is there anything that Intaction is doing to try and educate kids more about it? Well, it really is the simplest thing in the world. It's so much easier than brushing your teeth. Anything else, you just pull the foreskin back and wash it with warm water. You don't even need soap mm -hmm. uh, because soap you know, on a um, mucosal tissue isn't the best thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very easy to do. And, and in fact, um, you know, that can irritate and cause you know, issues to, to, to come up. But um, but yeah, it really is so much easier than, than cleaning a vagina. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just pull the skin back, clean it, and, uh, and then put the skin back in its uh, position. And uh, so, I mean, it's as simple as it as it can get. But a lot of young boys never learn it. And then let's say a young boy with a single mother who might not know about that and might not, you know, think to even teach her son about that. He might just go his whole life not cleaning it. And then eventually, you know, things like to grow in damp and moist places. But that'll happen and, you know, he'll find out then. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not like it's gonna fall off, you uh -huh. know, from from that that happen mm -hmm. that happening. So, uh, you know, when that initial thing happens, the doctor will say to him, hopefully. Yeah. He's gonna uh, freak out first though, because the symptoms yeah. that I saw, you know, they were very mm -hmm. similar to what an STD symptom would be like, you know, 
discharge of the penis. Like he's gonna freak out a little bit first. Right, right. We do have pamphlets that that teach um, you know how to care for an intact penis, mm-hmm. um, which That's is like great. super super simple one mm-hmm. two three mm-hmm. type thing. So we do we do educate people about that, which is amazing. That is very very yeah. needed. We we intaction does play the role sometimes. Intact guys that come to us with an issue, we will play the role as patient advocate. And uh, we will try to help them find a doctor that's knowledgeable on on treat, proper treatment of the foreskin. Because tip, if they go to a, just some ordinary urologist, they're only trained to do one thing, and that's do a circumcision, cut it off. That's the only thing they're trained to do. Mm-hmm. So, and you know what? That solves the problem, but it leaves you without your foreskin also. So uh, we will, you know, if if any intact guys out there are having any issues, it could be whether it's a skin tear or BXO or some other issue, you know, we'll try to find you a foreskin friendly doctor that can treat you the way a European doctor would treat a European patient with knowledge of how to treat a, a, a skin condition, which are relatively uncommon. I was going to ask about phimosis, which is the inability to retract the foreskin and that circumcision could be recommended to them if it does become like an ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. Well, the American urologist will recommend circumcision right away for that because <laughs> because insurance will pay for it. They get three thousand dollars easily mm-hmm. for for doing that uh, an adult circumcision it still only takes like 20 minutes mm-hmm. uh, for them to do it costs them nothing and it's, it's really quick and it costs the patient nothing either because insurance will pay for it because mm-hmm. that is a that is a billable condition now what they can really do is um, is do a steroid cream which they use for a couple of weeks and they just apply it to the tip of the foreskin and and do some some stretching on it and it allows the foreskin um, you know in the process of, process of like two weeks to become completely retractable it becomes retractable to the point that you want it mm-hmm. you know you might not want it too loose because the the you know having it a certain degree tight is going to have a much better sexual feel to it than if it's loose and just you know flop it around mm-hmm. so um, so there are much better ways to solve phimosis that will make the person so much happier with it mm. too but but a person with phimosis is a very easy target for a doctor yeah. because not only of, of the money but since since you're having pain with your foreskin and your only um, knowledge of your foreskin is that it causes you pain. Uh, so you're thinking it's a negative thing. Once they take that away, you're like, oh my goodness, uh, you know, why, you know, we should do this to all boys. You know, we should just do this to boys because, you know, this is a terrible thing that I went through mm-hmm. and we could save everyone by, by just doing this simple thing. But, um, you know, if they are treated in another way that preserves a foreskin, they learn that they learn to actually enjoy the sensation of their foreskin skin and are like thank god i didn't do that you know because uh because you know and they, and they they don't even tell you a lot of times that you'll you'll have to um use um lubrication um to uh to masturbate mm. uh you know things are going to be very different than they were so a lot of people that have had adult circumcisions really regret it um mm. really regret mm-hmm. it yeah as we were saying like phimosis is a tight foreskin that won't retract mm-hmm. and that could be caused by a scar tissue a scar tissue buildup and mm-hmm. and as david mentioned that there, there are ways to treat that mm-hmm. you know and, and and circumcision should be a a, a last, last last resort 
not not the first resort. Mm-hmm. And another thing with with Famosas is um, we're beginning to know uh, as time goes by that it's it's actually over cleaning. Uh, of of babies that is causing the phimosis because if you because the foreskin is not meant to be pulled back until it is ready to be and sometimes that's at two years old sometimes that's at five sometimes it's at nine and even into to ten age age years as far as being fully retractable so what doctors do is they tell you right away with your baby that you're supposed to pull the foreskin back to clean it and uh, and that actually causes scar tissue it causes damage causes tears and the doctor's like oh well well, we're gonna have to do a circumcision now (laughs) you know it's crazy like and people don't really understand that there's so much money behind this so they just go along with it we're gonna take a short break but there's still so much more to talk about so stay tuned if you haven't already please go subscribe to the show leave us a review It really helps us. Please go follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Instagram is really the one where I just spend the most time on. So definitely make sure if you're going to follow any of them, follow that one. And yeah, just subscribe. Tell your friends about it. It always helps to get the word out and it always helps us grow as a podcast. Stay tuned. My name is Xavier Diaz and this is a Pretty Normal Podcast. I heard in an interview, Anthony, that you had actually went to find the doctor that circumcised you. Can you tell me about that experience? Sure. So before I got involved so much with intactivism, you know, I always wondered about the scar on my body and who did it and why they did it. I kind of started a journey of finding the doctor, the obstetrician that did it to me. You know, I was deeply disturbed about what was done to me. Somehow speaking to that, if I could find that person, it would somehow help me get past it and give me some closure. So I did eventually find the doctor who did the circumcision on me and he, and he remembered me and my family. And, you know, we had kind of a conversation on the phone. He wasn't very cooperative, but he was listening to my questions. Maybe he was surprised. This is maybe one of the first patients that ever came back. Because, you know, a funny thing doctors say is nobody ever complains. Well, here's a person that complains. Yeah, I'm sure he was not prepared for that. (laughs) So uh, from our conversation that we had, you know, I wanted to know why he did it. Why was this done? And the, the gist of it all and the conclusion I came to was that he didn't have any reasons. He didn't have any answers. And to me, that kind of summed up what circumcision was all about. It was something that's done to babies for no good reason. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I learned from that experience. Did you ever confront your parents about it and say, why did you let this happen? Yeah, we've, we've had uh, some, some very good discussions about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was born at a time, you know, I was born in the 60s and there was no Internet and there was no access to information and parents are lay people and they rely on their doctors for uh, information and guidance. And, you know, back at that time, basically, you know, circumcision rates were probably like around 90%. So, you know, my fate was pretty much sealed. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of went along with it. And, you know, they apologized to me. They said, if we had known better, you know, then obviously we we wouldn't have done this. But at the time you were born, everybody was, was doing it. And, and so, you know, I accepted that and I've, I've moved on from it and they regret it and, and I regret it. But, you know, you can't change the past. 
Well, you know, that's another thing that we feel that, you know, not only are the people, the babies that are cut and the men that they become, not only are they victims, but the parents are victims of this as well, because they really don't know what they're doing. And how much it's pushed upon them. Yes. They they don't understand, like, the harm that's going to come for, from it. They believe it's uh, it's going to be beneficial and they're afraid of, of you not fitting in with your peers all of these reasons that um, that have really changed over the years. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, so we really think that um, parents are victims of this too, because it really is pushed on them and they do want to do what's best. And they feel they're very afraid of not doing it since it is such a common thing in the U.S. And how do you get how do you get religious people behind this movement? Because I know for some religions like Islam and Jew. Judaism, that this is a very common thing? That's a good question. It is not so easy because many people are very committed to their religious beliefs, whether they're the Jewish faith or the Muslim faith. But there are some people of the Jewish faith that are practicing an alternate ceremony instead of a bris. It's called the bris shalom. And it's a different, slightly different ceremony with the baby. And it doesn't involve cutting baby's genitals. But but you have to understand that religious circumcisions are a very small percentage of the circumcisions done in America. Most of them are done by doctors, like the vast majority, over 90% are done by doctors in hospitals for cultural mm-hmm. or quasi-medical benefits or misbeliefs, mm-hmm. or just because the parents just want it. That's what we focus on in our advocacy mm-hmm. is, is the medical circumcision is being done. But a lot of people in the movement against circumcision are Jewish. There are lots of them that, that are in it. Uh, they feel that this is another tradition in, you know, it was, it was in, you know, uh, that that needs to just get, be rid of. Because at, at one time in the Jewish religion, there was, there was plural marriage for men, there was owning slaves. There were all these other things that at the time, it was the thing to do, you know, there was yeah. nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It wasn't considered, um, you, you know, it, it was just day-to-day business. So uh, they feel that that circumcision is just another one of those things that um, needs to go the way of plural marriage and owning slaves mm-hmm. and putting your wife in the backyard when she's uh, her period. So yeah, they are just like other human rights issues in the US, they are right there in the front of it. And we have plenty of members in Intaction that are Jewish, that are out there, um, you know, advocating with us. And, and it, it does help Jewish people that are coming up to us. A lot of times they, you know, they don't really want to, they, they, they don't want to feel that someone, we're preaching to them about mm-hmm. their religion. We're, mm-hmm. we're not part of it. So it does help them to talk to another Jewish person Come about right. it mm-hmm. that can really, you know, has had that same experience of them. Uh, growing up and going to all these bris ceremonies where they see it done and uh, and you know they and a lot of of Jewish people really come up to us because they've wanted to talk about it they've seen like these babies screaming over and over again and they but but you know like what can I do I'm Jewish uh, mm-hmm. you know so you know we let them know that over 300 rabbis in the US alone are offering this uh, ceremony called the Brit Shalom, and that it uh, you know they they cut a pomegranate or they cut a ribbon, whatever that that signifies uh, that, and they name the baby as it is a naming ceremony. 
Great. I'm glad that those religions are evolving with the times and, you know, with more information and more advocacy. I hope that they continue to push like more people to be aware about this. On your website, it says that some of your past events have included disruptive protests and demonstrations. Can you tell us about those? Oh, uh, we did a disruptive protest of a Clinton Foundation uh, event at the Brooklyn Hall of Music, I think it was a while back. This was a few years ago, but you know, the, the Clinton Foundation was one of these foundations like the Gates Foundation now are giving money to promote circumcision in Africa. Mm-hmm. They're taking advantage. I think they're well-intentioned perhaps, but you know, they, they push their donors for money under the guise that they're doing something good and they're actually harming people. Mm-hmm. You know, they what they do is they give money to, to poor people in Africa to act as like recruiters to go out and try to round up young men to be circumcised and they pay him a commission for every guy that they they can get into the clinic to be and circumcised why and do they want to do this like what is in the benefit for they believe they're stopping hiv mm-hmm. and you know based on those flawed studies that we we spoke about mm-hmm. so we did disrupt the uh clinton foundation event we we stopped them from do speaking people, <laughs> do people get confused because when you hear it and you're there and you say we're trying to stop HIV in Africa, and these people are here protesting us, trying to stop HIV in Africa. It sounds like you guys are the bad guys. Like, well, we had a chant, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we, we we said condoms not cutting was one of our chants, <laughs> right? And we said stop exploiting Africans. Circumcision does not stop HIV. So we chanted, we got up and we chanted, uh, Anthony blew a whistle first, <laughs> which, you know, scared the living hell out of a lot of people. Yeah. And I was like, are you sure you want to blow that whistle? And he's like, oh yeah, we got to blow the whistle. <laughs> so he, he, he blew the whistle. We got up and we put our hands together and we, we said, stop exploiting Africans. Mm. Circumcision does not stop HIV. Mm-hmm. And we just said that over and over again, and uh, and you know there were people getting out the way, and there were, but uh, but but you know they and and you know we got we got some you know serious jeers from people, and and uh, Bill on on stage he was like, well I'll tell you what it does do it it stops uh, HIV by sixty <laughs> percent. That's a great Bill Clinton impression. <laughs> and that's when we went into like uh, condoms not cutting, yeah. condoms not. Yeah cutting Um, and then chelsea said well i don't understand why they're mutually exclusive (laughs) so they actually acknowledged that you were we were kind of having a discussion back that's amazing yeah they had no choice and and we were doing that audience a big favor because he he was just carrying on about himself there was an actor up there talking about about how amazing bill clinton was was like i have done more than any a president after they were president uh-huh. in history. And I, you know, uh-huh. he was just talking Going about himself. On, and, on. and, you know, at first I was feeling bad that we were going to be disrupting this. And I, I'm uh-huh. like, please, we got to wake people up. Yeah, and, yeah. You know? But afterwards, we, you know, they escorted us out. The and Secret Service did. The, the, the Secret <laughs> Service, uh, you know, there was a slow chase where the Secret Service came after us <laughs> and uh, they, 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 caught, they caught up with us and, yeah. and they said, uh, well, you know, I have to ask you this. I have to ask you this, you know, why are you here and, and uh, whatever. So, you know, we have to do this with anyone that d- does. But first of all, I want to thank you for, be, for doing like the best um, you know, protests that anyone ever has. You didn't throw things at the stage. You didn't, whatever. So I want to thank you for being so 
peaceful and not giving us a hard time. But you got to get out is what they're <laughs> Well, well that's respectable. <laughs> you guys did it in a very peaceful way, it seems. And it got it. It got their attention. Right. There was no yeah. way that it couldn't. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, when you do a protest, there's the point of getting your message out, but not to the point where you start turning people off to your message. Of course. Yeah, yeah that's that's what I thought, because like, was there anybody that was like, hey, I would like more information? Uh, no, I don't oh. think we got to that point. <laughs> not, not there. Not there. Yeah, they well, wanted us out of the way. As long as you're getting out there and you're trying to get people informed, that's what matters. That's really mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and we, we there were like two uh, press releases that, and there, there was a story or two on, yeah. on it. So it got out there, um, you know, in you know, for people to access more information mm -hmm. afterwards. So that's great. Do you find that the media is caring more about this? They are now. Mm -hmm. uh, at our last um, Union Square um, thing we did this Tuesday, we had so many people coming up to us uh, that knew a lot of facts about the issue already. Mm -hmm. This is uh, this is so different than one year ago. Um, you know, there might be one person every blue moon that came up to us that had some understanding that knew about the Kellogg's factor that mm -hmm. that he brought this to the U.S. What is that? You know, um, know. Kellogg's. Kellogg cereal. Brought this. Um, he brought this to the U.S. to as a way to stop masturbation because at the time masturbation. Uh, this was like 1860. 90, 1890. Uh, 1890. Uh, and uh, he published a book uh, on it uh, that was very, very popular at the time. And and they felt that masturbation was the cause of so many problems. It was a you know it was the cause of you know that that you know having an orgasm depleted you of like 10% of your body's energy and, and blood and all this and you had to recoup from that so so to stop babies from doing this they uh, made it made the temptation less mm -hmm. by cutting off the foreskin and he also said that with girls you should put some boric acid or some kind of acid on the the clitoris so that they have a painful memory of this and mm -hmm. they stay away from doing that too oh but he really felt it was a great deterrent to mm -hmm. to, to stop boys from masturbating but um and the fact is it does cause a learning curve because many many boys do not understand that without foreskin that they have to use some form of lubricant spit at the very least mm -hmm. in order to masturbate mm -hmm. without it hurting without you know being able to do it frequently mm -hmm. um, but having a foreskin there uh, allow it there's lubrication it self lubricates just like the vagina does when you when it gets sexually stimulated yeah. so and and having that skin there the proper amount of skin to go back and forth mm -hmm. uh, it makes it better and it also they'll stops. never know they'll never know the wonders of like how much it feels better because of the nerves there right there's 20,000 okay. nerve endings in the foreskin it's a mm -hmm. look you can't Circumcision alters the form. You can't alter form without altering function. Mm -hmm. So if you're taking something away, that's not. It's it's going to decrease what mm -hmm. what nature intended it to do. But one thing is 
gay men really find this out um, in their sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. If they run yeah. into a lot of intact men, they suddenly realize like, wait, wait a minute, you don't have to use lube to uh -huh. to masturbate. You don't have to, you know, um, and sometimes they'll, they'll then notice when they're with another cut man that it's almost a spitting contest, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. to spit and grab and uh -huh. spit and go and spit, you know, everything has, requires all this thing. Whereas with an intact natural whole penis you don't have to have all this extra stuff and and the sensation there just makes it so much better that that um there's so many benefits to it you know what's interesting i saw one of the reasons pro circumcision was that because men have more nerves in their foreskin they feel more which actually will make them come faster so the reason was that uh women actually prefer men that are circumcised because they'll last longer because they don't feel as much. So that actually makes them happier. Yeah, actually it's the opposite, you see, because when when your penis is intact, you have more control. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, those all those nerve endings, you can feel more, but they give you more definition and they give you a better <laughs> sense of where you are on on the uh on the continuum, on the curve before you reach orgasm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh with a circumcised guy, he may have to thrust very hard or pound a lot and then then, then it happens too fast because mm -hmm. he can't control what's going on his nerves have been severed and what's remaining after the circumcision the, the nerve endings have tried to reconnect themselves the best that they could and they're usually mismatched and misfiring so circumcised guys can have more problems with premature ejaculation. Mm -hmm. But going back to the media part of your question, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I first started this, I've been doing this over 10 years now, being an activist, and we used to go months and months and maybe even a year before we'd see an article in the newspaper about circumcision, or, uh, you know. Now it's like every week there's an article in, in the media, mm -hmm. uh, uh, press, radio, TV, about, about circumcision, about foreskin, about FGM, FGM and, and and male circumcision is it's just an ongoing stream of information. So much as even as an activist, I have a hard time keeping up keeping with up everything with because uh -huh. people ask me questions and I'm trying to remember everything. So uh, there's just a really heightened public interest on this issue like we've never seen before. Public attitudes are shifting based on surveys that both we've done and online surveys like YouGov showing young people don't support this, attitudes are changing, and we're thinking we're getting closer and closer to the tipping point where society flips and they start having a negative view of circumcision. And the coverage is being more and more positive towards foreskin, right. which is totally the opposite of the way even, you know, two years ago or even a year ago, every article had to have the AAP comment in it. It had to have CDC in it, mm -hmm. uh, all these things that, that, oh no, there are medical benefits to it and all this. But, but now there are articles that are just like, you know, foreskin is a fantastic thing. Like, like it's, it's about how women are learning to enjoy sex better. They're learning that intact men don't have to pound and pound and pound away. They don't they they don't come away as sore mm -hmm. from sex that <laughs> it, uh, they don't have to work as hard when it comes to like <laughs> masturbating a guy. Oral sex. Uh, oral sex, you know, they can they can just kind of enjoy it. It's it's much more of a sensual experience whereas with uh, cut men, you got to work that stuff. You got to <laughs> like work that really hard, mm. fast and tight. So it it's a it's a different sexual experience. 
and and it's it's just a better sexual experience when you have more options. Yeah, in these media interviews, you rarely even see them the the reporters, or the journalists, or the radio hosts even talking to a doctor. They don't even want to talk to the doctors because the doctors have lost credibility mm -hmm. on the issue of circumcision. They'll talk to us. They'll talk to activists like like ourselves. I uh, really care. You know, yeah. uh, every I you know I do about two interviews a month. It's always just been me and the host and me and the journalist. And doctors aren't even included in the conversation anymore mm -hmm. because they just they don't have the credibility on the issue. Do you guys ever find it uncomfortable or weird to like you know if you're at a social setting to come into the conversation and be like? Hey, did you guys hear about this circumcision versus not circumcision stuff? Like intact? Is it ever weird to like just bring up, you know, penis like in any situation? N not for us. Look, if you're an activist, <laughs> you're comfortable about talking about penis, vagina, <laughs> masturbation, sex, oral job, blowjobs, anal sex. We talk about it all. Hey. So it's, you know, and when we're at our events in Union Square, people give it all to us. So there's there's no sh look. There's no reason to be bashful over this. This this is. Our bodies were designed to have foreskin. It's it's in our DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, females have foreskin too, in the form of a clitoral hood. It's the anatomical equivalent. We all have this. We all have sex. So there's nothing. There's no point in being embarrassed about talking about this. And, and I think most people aren't. You know, today with social media and Twitter and Instagram, people are posting pictures of everything. We have very little expectation of privacy, so we might as well talk about it yep. and, and be honest about it. And and, and that's that's the, that's the world we live in now. Mm -hmm. And and as you'll see, like on everything we do like the word foreskin is all over it all <laughs> over it foreskin 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 because we you know it's one of those things like lesbian in you know the 80s and, and the 70s it was a dirty word mm -hmm. you know when you say lesbian it was like meant this kind of sex thing that you know was you know it wasn't like even lesbians would use the word gay instead of lesbian because because the lesbian had this connotation to it. So, but the more and more you get the word lesbian out there, the more you understand it's just, hey, it's it's just absolute natural and normal and great and all this. So we do the same thing with foreskin. We make sure the word foreskin is really in your face. We, we <laughs> as I like to say, we shove foreskin down your throat. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I love that you guys are trying to make it no longer taboo that's one of the big things about this podcast is i wanted to reimagine what society considers normal and yeah circumcision is considered normal for so many people especially in the united states so i'm glad that i got to have you both here can you both let uh the listeners know your names and then where they can find intaction uh anthony lasquadro and uh, we're at intaction.org, I-N-T-A-C-T-I-O-N.org. Visit our website, check us out. If you believe in foreskin as much as we do, then come along, come to our website, support us. We're all privately funded. We're volunt unpaid volunteers as everybody in our board of directors and staff are all unpaid volunteers. We need people like who believe in this, what we're talking about to support us and, and help us and get the word out. We're, we're about educational advocacy. We're not forcing our ideas down anybody's throats, but we think that if we can give Americans this information that we have and the things that we've learned, and we can share this with other people. We believe they too will uh, come along with us and, and try to keep uh, babies, girls and boys intact in America. And I'm David Grant and uh, part of intaction.org. And uh, yeah, we are uh, against male 
female and intersex surgeries. Um, these are all completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary. It can be done later in life to the, the total satisfaction of the person that it affects most. And uh, that's another thing like intersex right now is a, is a big, you know, topic and uh, they're, they're, you know, moving it so that you should not do this to a child. You shouldn't assign a surgery to them and sign a sex to them via surgery. Let them grow up and make their own decision about it because they're quite depressed about it. And some commit suicide later on uh, that this was forced upon them. This is the same issue as uh, circumcision and, uh, you know, one's foreskin. So, you know, if you believe in, in, you know, people having, um, independence and and letting people be themselves and who they are then uh, letting them have all of their genitals is completely important quick question that i just thought of are you guys looking for an all-out ban on circumcision or are you looking for more advocacy and education so that people make the choice themselves maybe when they're later on in their own lives. We honestly believe that if people know the facts, know the honest, real facts about foreskin, that they won't do this to their their children. If if they see the, the examples that we provide, if they know about the horrible complications that can happen, if they know that so many men are completely unhappy that this was done to them, if they know about these things, they won't they won't do it to their kids. As far as bans, uh, we're not after that. Um, you know, we believe that it's, it's absolutely wrong, 100% wrong to do it to your child. But bans, um, you know, they, they're just going to make the, the issue so much more fierce. And there's, there's going to be um, all sorts of, of fights uh, about, uh, you know, religious freedom and First all First Amendment all of issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so we really believe education is the answer. Amazing. Well, thank you both for coming on. This is a great interview and I'm glad and I hope people get out there and I hope they support. I hope they at least get educated about it and then make the decision themselves. And when it's time for them to be in that room with the doctor when their child was just born, they make an informed decision about this. So thank you for educating people about this and for coming on the show. Thanks for having us on. Thank Andrew. you. Hey. And I might say that uh, that there need there needs to be no dis decision. As with most of the world, 80% of the world, they they make no decision about their, their penis. They don't have to. Mm -hmm. It's just natural. Leave it there. Hey. Thank you to everyone who listened and who tuned in this week. Thank you to our guests for coming on and telling us about your life's work. It's always amazing to see people that are so passionate about what they do and they're so well informed and they stay up to date with everything about it because they truly, truly do care about this. If you haven't already, definitely go subscribe to the show. We always have really interesting people, all sorts of people. Last week we interviewed a musician and this week we did a nonprofit organization that specializes in foreskin advocacy. So it's always something different, always something special. But what unites it all is that all of these people are super passionate about what they do. And these things aren't things that you would normally speak about or things that you would normally see in the media. So we always want to reimagine what society considers normal. Subscribe to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Thank you if you've left a review. Thank you if you've told your friends. All of it means the world to me. My name is Xavier Diaz, and this was a pretty normal podcast.